All right, good morning, Cross Point. Welcome to church. It's a great day still to worship our Lord, even with the little clouds out. It keeps the heat down. It's great for us. So we're glad to see everybody. Hope you're all doing well, staying safe. And uh, it's a great day to worship our Lord this morning. We're going to start with Death Was Arrested.
Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, it is all about you this morning, God, and that's why we are here as your people. God, there's tons of things that we could find ourselves finding as a higher priority, Lord, if it weren't for the fact for what you've done for us, giving your life in exchange for ours, Lord. We are so thankful that you conquered death the day that you died on the cross and rose again three days later. Lord, we are here to worship you. We want you to be the focus of our worship this morning. Lord, be with Pastor Scott as he opens your word this morning and help us to have ears to hear. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. There's the horn. So welcome, everybody, this morning. We are grateful to be able to be, able to be here. And second is not battle the weather. We're not having a battle rain this morning. That was a bit of a time for us trying to figure out how we're going to do today. But it looks like the skies have cleared, so we're going to be able to worship together. By the way, we were going to do this whether it rained anyways. We're not worried about those things. It's not going to keep us from uh, finding strength in the gathering and also opening God's word and being uh, as a family coming together. So I hope that you're excited to be here. We're a couple weeks away now from um, going into the building the first Sunday of October. What is that? The third, I think. Uh, the fourth, we will be, um, thank you, Bob McGee, we will be uh, in the building uh, for uh, on Sunday morning on that day. So uh, you'll be thinking about that, looking forward to that. You can be in prayer for uh, our church as we think about uh, today, we're going to be meeting on how to uh, navigate through our, our other ministries, especially as it relates to Awana. So today we should have some final plans on that. And but do, do be reminded that um, we are always thinking and planning and, and how to minister, but also how just to get in each other's lives. That's called fellowship. Many of you know that one of those areas we did uh, last week, we went canoeing uh, as a church group. That was great. And I want to give a word out here. This person I'm looking for isn't here this morning, but there's a picture of Pastor Scott on Facebook. Dan, have you seen the picture of me on Facebook? So it's a picture of what appears to be Pastor Scott in a sinking kayak and uh, right there at the beach. It's not a flattering picture. Well, somebody edited that picture, which I knew, and I can laugh. That's good. But I said, I'm coming after you. You drew first blood, Eric Throckmorton. That's who I was going after. And then I found out it was somebody else who did the editing. I want you to know that I know who you are. I know where you live. I'm going to get you back. So that's all in fun. We had a great day that day. It was, uh, the weather was perfect. And we hope to, um, again, as we do things together, uh, you heard me mention for several weeks now that we have our second annual men's uh, golf outing by way of fellowship. So two dates to be mindful of is uh, September should be, what, 26 is the Saturday before that. We have from 5 to 7 at Mega Golf in Batavia on Bower Road. It, we will be um, having, it's free from 5 to 7, uh, tune up to the golf outing. So show up, men, and we'll uh, get the clubs out and, and knock the dust and the rust off of them and have some fun there for a couple hours. It's free to you, won't cost you a dime. And then the, um, the following Saturday, of course, is the outing. That would be October 3rd. Make sure today, please make sure to either see Mike Jones or contact with Roger Jones. Uh, as we compile that list, it needs to be finalized today so we can best plan uh, for our um, uh, for that event. We want to do not want to be caught unaware. 
So, if you're grateful to be here today, can you let it be known by an amen? I want to remind you something, and um, I don't say this to be uh, mean-spirited, but you chose to be here today, okay? You made that decision to be here. Why not make the most of it while you're here? You know, a lot of times we, we do things because we have to, not because we want to, or because we do things because it's habit, it's habitual, so therefore we have to do it. And our, our heart may not always be in it, but we still do it. Why? Because we want to be honoring unto the Lord, even when we don't feel like it. That's the buzzword, feel. So today, I want you to take full advantage of the fact that you chose to be here, and let's, let's give God our focused attention. That's the simplest definition of the word worship, to give God our focused attention. And um, as we focus on him, we give unto him, we receive a blessing in return. In the Bible this morning, we will be turning to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. And I'm going to set this up by explaining why I'm sharing this story and the principles that follow. A couple weeks ago, I had mentioned Elijah, the great prophet of the Old Testament. And um, as we were talking about different um, uh, portions of Scripture over the last several weeks, we've shared Scripture that has been challenging. We've shared Scripture that is just straight truth. We shared scripture that is motivating. The implication of that scripture motivates you to apply it to your lives. And again, I, I don't like to get up here every week and share in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of, there is a lot going on. So I don't think I need to say that. But what I have learned is over the weeks is there's not enough time. There is a sense of urgency today, not panic, but urgency, there's a sense of urgency to make sure we're walking with our creator. There is an urgency because of how fast everything turns on a dime. Uh, a, a current event, a, a news cycle, it will turn uh, very, very quickly. So I've carried some, uh, uh, some of those emotions I tried to address throughout Scripture over the last several weeks. We've, we've, we've kind of looked at what do we do when we're uncertain. We brought it back to the certainty of God, the certainty of his word, the certainty of the cross of Jesus Christ. We've shared um, that we don't have time to be playing around. We shared, uh, that we, but we do, it is an essential that we meet together. We, we've gone over several of these things over the years, but I want to share a different um, I'm going to call it an emotion, but it is also a biblical lesson for us to consider today. And it is the feeling of pity, more specifically, self-pity, self-pity. What we want to do today is turn pity into praise, pity into praise. You may think, well, that sounds just like a, you're like being a cheerleader, like you can do it. You can just change your thinking. No, we're going to look at the, an event of an, a prophet of God in the Bible, how he did the exactly this, this human emotion that we're talking about, he experienced, he lived it, and I think we're, I know we're going to be able to draw some experiences from it. So 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 through 14. Now, 
I'm not going to read all of it. We're just going to look at a handful of scriptures, but in uh, verses 1 through 14, you're going to see an event that had happened, but to fully appreciate chapter 19, you have to understand a little bit of chapter 18. Now, if we had the time, we would read chapter 18, and so you get the, the narrative, and we would read these verses of chapter 19, but I want to be good with our time this morning. And just consider what happened in chapter 18. I shared this, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, and that's what triggered teaching this today. Self-pity, turning pity into praise. We can look at our world right now and glorify and reminisce about yesteryear, how great it was, how great yesteryear was. And we turn that into, isn't it a pity? And if we're not careful, what we look at uh, uh, have pity on, on, on others can put us, A, in a place of judgment, and B, in a place of self-pity. So Elijah, in chapter 18, this is the big events that happen that leads us to chapter 19. If you look in the headings of your chapters, you'll see a lot of it. But Elijah is called a troublemaker by King Ahab. Why? For speaking the truth about the false gods of Israel. That's all he did. He was speaking that it's vitally important that we understand what truth is. When you believe a lie and you start, even if when you, when you, when you di digest a lie and let it start to grow, it will take you away from the Lord and not to him. Elijah is called a troublemaker by King Ahab for speaking the truth. What was the truth that he was speaking? The truth that he was speaking was this, King Ahab, that God, God said clearly in Scripture not to marry wives of false gods. Clearly, that was the whole point of, of, of what, why they weren't to marry outside of Israel at that time was because of the false gods were so prevalent. Well, he did it anyways. And the following is what happens. Elijah, he calls out four 150, actually plus another 400, um, uh, false prophets of Baal for a holy showdown. Now, many of you know me. I like Westerns. I like Westerns. Not just for the showdown, uh, but that's kind of an interesting part. But he's calling out one versus, in this scenario, 450 false prophets. 450 of the enemy he's calling out. By himself. No one else is around. Again, we're setting up the scene for chapter 18. All Israel and false prophets are in one place. It was time. Everything had gathered to a, a boiling point. To a, everything came to a head at one place and at one time. Boy, doesn't it feel like that in our lives sometimes where you can hear ideas and you hear ideologies and all of a sudden they kind of come to a point. A lot of times... Election years feel just like that, where you feel like things are getting ready to come to a point, and it can be unnerving, to say the least. Well, Elijah tells them to stop riding the spiritual fence. That was the truth that he was speaking. That was the truth that he was speaking to Israel, that he was speaking to King Ahab. Stop riding the fence. Either God's your God or he's not. And that was the simple message, direct, that they 
did not want to hear. Well, Baal, uh, the Baal prophets and Elijah, they, they, they get a sacrifice, and they're to have their God call down fire and burn it up. Many of you are very familiar with this story. Many of you may be new to Scripture, and they, they have a sacrifice, and they, they're to have their God to call down the fire from heaven. Not to create the fire, but their God's going to provide it. And, of course, uh, what happens is all these prophets, 450 prophets, more prophets than can fit in our building. Think about that. Just to get your mind around the number. 450. Couldn't get it done. They called out to their god Baal from morning until evening. They even mutilated themselves, which is, by the way, not from God. And it was undoable. They were crying out. In fact, Elijah gets a little cocky. He tells him, maybe your god's sleeping. Wake him up. Set the alarm clock. And Elijah then took 12 stones, built an altar, dug a trench, and he drenched the sacrifice with 12 pots of water. I don't know if you caught the numbers there. It's pretty interesting. 12 stones, 12 pots of water. He drenched it so it couldn't ignite if he wanted to ignite it. He prayed that God would show himself for Israel's sake. He burned up the altar with fire from heaven, and it was so. That's what happens in chapter 18. Um, many of you, have, again, have heard that. Please don't let it become a fairy tale for you. That is not a fairy tale event. That is a real live event. That is not allegorical. It is not just a, a, a story to get your attention. I was thinking about this. I was watching Pastor Rick this morning in Bible Quest teach um, the uh, truths of the Bible out of the book of Acts and, and following. And, and I thought, you know, we're telling stories verbally and in our kids worlds in our world we have everything flashed for us all the time and we tend to want to gravitate to and believe what we see touch and feel not a story but yet the word of god for centuries has just been read it's been preached and it's transformed lives let me shake that word again transformed lives what's that mean that means made new we're a new creation not added to but made new if your life's been transformed let it be known by an amen now the challenge for us is to live like it we need to live like we've been transformed but uh a victory god had done through elijah so now let's go to this where do we find Elijah, and again, I'm sharing this because this is an emotion that you may find yourself in, especially in the last handful of months if we go through these roller coaster of events. Elijah makes five mistakes, and I would say mindsets, and that's what I want you to grab a hold of today, that we can draw from. We can learn from the mindset that Elijah had. Elijah was throwing a pity party. Look in chapter 4 of, of, I'm sorry, verse 4 of chapter 19. Chapter, chapter 19, verse 4. Elijah is speaking to himself, more or less, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. So on one hand, he's speaking to himself. On another hand, he's broadcasting this right back through a prayer to God. 
He's a day's journey is how far he went. He went to be alone. You know, being alone is a good thing. Carla and I, uh, sometimes she'll look at me and say, you need to go do something. She wants some alone, right? <laughs> Just, you need to go do, go out, go ride your bike, go do something. Alone is not bad. It's good to be alone with your thoughts. That you discover who you are. You can discover who God is. We're so busy filling our lives with stuff. Running here, running there. That we miss the just being quiet. Just the being still and know that I am God. So there is the, the positive element to being alone. But too much alone, it can play on your outlook and reality not your reality but reality it can too much alone time can cause you to have a slanted look on reality elijah was already getting the seeds of fear and doubt it was the fear and doubt was starting to germinate in his life in his mind why all because of a threat look in verse two look in verse two where it says then jezebel sent a messenger to elijah saying so let the gods do to me, and more so, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. It was a threat. It was words. Now, I would think with all the political power at her hands, I could see it being a legitimate threat. I understand that. But he had just had a victory through God. God used him to do, through him, to do a victory and yet, in just a day's journey, 24-hour day's journey, look at the, the, what had been planted in his mind, planted in his heart. It was fear. It was doubt. He wasn't trusting God at all. He tells God, what? I've had enough. Now, if we'll be honest, Facebook land, if we'll be honest here, we've said that. We've, we've probably used those exact lines in a, in a marriage. We've probably used them lines at work with our children. I've had enough. We can identify with what Elijah is saying here in verse 4 because we've probably used those words, maybe the exact words. As a believer, I want you to be reminded of this. God never gives us too much. In fact, what he gives us is always perfect. Hello. What we do with it now is a different issue. You think, well, he's putting too much on me. There's death in my life. There's sickness. There's illness. There's too much on me. And I can understand Peggy Taylor has done so well to bring me in on grief share and to let me see that we are, are coming across people that have such heartbreak and heartache in their life. And, and, and that question will come up. It'll come up in grief share. Why? Why? For the believer, I'm speaking to the believer now, I can make that statement that he never gives us too much. In fact, it's perfect because he's using it for a purpose. 1 Corinthians, let's flip there. Keep your finger there in Acts. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Many of you, we can quote it. We don't need... This is a great one to memorize, a great verse to memorize. I'll be brief with it. 10.13 of 1 Corinthians. We get tempted at times. We have temptations of fear and doubt. We have temptations of wanting to give up when God is up to something. Now, to the person that does not know Jesus Christ, you're not connected to your creator. This isn't going to make sense. 
you're going to look at it and go, God's just a mean God. But look at what it says to the believer. Let no temptation, there's no, te- there's no don't let the fear, uh, temptation of doubt, the temptation of uncertainty creep into your life. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. You know, when I watch people that have dealt with heartache and heartbreak through the passing of a loved one, you know what I'm reminded? I, I've, I felt it. I felt it. Maybe not as intense as other, others, but I have felt it. But that I'm not the only one that went through the heartbreak of losing a family member. I'm not the only one that's went through the heartache of losing a church member. That hurts. I've done a lot of funerals. And it hurts. But watch. But God is faithful. He's faithful. That means he's up to something. And the verse goes on. I would encourage you to memorize that one. Um, I, I want to stay, just keep moving on our First Corinthians uh, Kings text. So go back to First Kings chapter 19. And look what happens. It says many, many things that we count as spiritual warfare sometimes are really just spiritual pity parties. It, it ends up being a pity party for ourselves. Don't be too quick to sympathize with somebody's suffering when it may be God doing a work in their life. You can identify, just be careful not to sympathize too much when God says, I want you here on purpose for my, your, for my glory and your good. Hard to hear, I get it. So the first mindset that I wanted you to see out of, out of Elijah was he was throwing a pity party. The second is Elijah was living in the glory of the past. Living in the glory of the past. Look in verse 10, and then we'll look at verse 14. Verse 10 says, So he said, I have been very zealous for the work God, uh, for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel. Uh, have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Sneak down to verse 14. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel has forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. He was living in the glory of the past. He was looking backwards in the rearview mirror. Sometimes we make the good old days better in our mind than they really were. Better in our mind than they really, than, than, uh, uh, than, than how it was when we were living them. A lot of times when we look at the good old days, it's from a perspective. It could be from a perspective. My niece and I talk about the good old days all the time, things we remember. And things that I can look at with fond memory, she looks at with that's, that's not how I saw it. It was hurtful. But he says in verse 10, verse 14, I've been very zealous for the Lord. This is true. When we see chapter 17 of Elijah, he went as the Lord led. He ministered to a widow and raised her son from the dead. There's just, in two chapters, you see miraculous things that God did through Elijah. In just two chapters. And here we are in a day's journey from the last one. Look at where he's at. We're talking about Elijah living in the glory of the past. Though those were the moments of the past, God is the God of the present. Amen? Of the present, right now. We don't have time to be living in the past. 
I thought of this saying. I remember the first year I was pastor, I was telling one of the, the leaders here, I said, look, I don't want the first year to be the best year. Every year should be the best year. And I, I kind of forgot that. You kind of lose that. Once you've been doing it for a while, it doesn't matter if it's an occupation, a job, a minister, or what it is. Once you do it for a while, sometimes you start to lose the, the little bit of the zeal for it, and you, you kind of fall into that area of a routine. Let's live our life like this year is the best year. Listen, 2020 is not being known as the best year for our world or our country. But how is it with your walk with the Lord? I'm anxious when we get in the building. I don't know when we're going to do this. I want to have a Sunday morning of just, of just praise, of just even testimony. And watch this. I, I know it's hard with, with everything that's happened this year, but how about this? There's been some interestingly good things that have happened this year. I want to hear them. I think we need to hear. Let me give an example. Numerous even fa church family members have said, you know what, I've gotten closer to the Lord. You know what, my family is, we're together. We appreciate each other a little more. It's, this year's made me focus. See what happens in the midst of hardship and trial, what God does, can do. So make, let each year be your best year. Now, I know that sounds like a rah-rah, cheery thing. But let me give you a good reason why. Because when we, we would rather glory in our past accomplishments than fight for the future, that's when you start dying. That's when you start dying. Your age has nothing to do with your spiritual growth. When you live in the past like Elijah, there's little hope for the future. All right. Elijah was living in the glory of the past. Think about this one. Here's the third one. Elijah began to compare himself to others. Oh, this is a deadly mistake. Look in verse 14. We read it once. And he said, I have been very zealous for, uh, for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have all forsaken your covenant, torn down the altars. They killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. God, look at me compared to them. He compared himself to Israel and the other prophets. Don't do this. Don't do this in your walk. Don't do it in your hobbies. Be careful not to do it in your, in your work. Strive to be better in all these areas, but don't compare yourself. To, you'll slip into it before you know it. Here's why. Because you'll never match up. There's always somebody doing something better than you, and you're doing something better than somebody else. Live your life as unto him and him, period. Jesus Christ is who we are to emulate, and everything else will shake out. That's a promise from his word. I'll show it to you. Keep your finger in 1 Kings. Go to John 21. God has plans for the believer. God has plans for his disciples. God has plans for his children. Will you follow? That is the question. Will you follow the steps that he's laid before you, as Psalms talks about, the steps of a righteous person are ordered by the Lord. Step in them. John 21, verse 21 through 23. Look at what it says. Peter, seeing him, uh, Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Jesus said to him, If I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. You're not following him. You're not, you're not following what I'm doing in his life. You're to follow 
me, verse 23, then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? He's not saying mind your own business 100% here. He's saying stay focused. Stay focused on me. You're, getting your, you're starting to drift. Stay focused on me. The believer, you are his. Trust him. Trust him and his structure. Elijah began to compare himself to others. That's deadly, deadly mistake. Here's a fourth one that we see in 1 Kings chapter 19, and it's that Elijah began blaming others for his trouble. Boy, isn't that a classic? It's never my fault. It's never your, it's, it's always somebody else's fault. In fact, when we look at the Bible, it's chock full of, um, of blaming others for their problems. Look in verse 3 of chapter 19. It says, And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. He went to Beersheba, Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. They seek to take my life. Look in verse 14 again that we read. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts because of the children of Israel. I have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. It's not my problem. It's not my fault. It's my problem, but it's not my fault. They seek to take my life, and Jezebel was chasing him. I could take the time and go into who Jezebel was. She was a king of Ahab's wife. Uh, King Ahab's wife uh, married against God's will is what Ahab did. And the influence on him had brought these false prophets. Not just, it's just, it's my marriage, it's my relationship. What's the big deal? The king it affected the whole nation. It affected the whole nation. They were chasing the false gods. It never pays to go against God's word. And Ahab had invited the worship of false gods into Israel because of his wife. And by the way, I'm going to let you know that Cross Point Baptist Church, we will do our best. We will be on guard against false gods and false teachings that come into this temple. We will be on guard against that. The Israelites had abandoned God, so he thought. And this is my favorite part of what we see here. Elijah started blaming other troubles, and his, remember how his, we said he had blinders on, he couldn't see? Look, look at what he said. He said, I, in verse 14, I alone am left. I'm all by myself. I have no help, God. Where's my help? I, am all, I alone am left. His, watch this word, depression. In his depression, he thought he was the last person to be faithful to God he thought he was it I might, which is ironic because then he says just take my life because they're going to they're gonna come get me anyways listen do not blame others for where you are spiritually speaking maybe you've had a bad experience in church maybe someone's let you down before what does that have to do with your walk between you and God why would you expect people to not let you down and be perfect? That would be a perfect individual. That doesn't happen. It's not, this is not reality. Why? Because we have a sinful nature. 
especially when people let me down. I've been burned. I've been burned. I've had, I, I have had uh, Christian hero worship of people that I really idolized that sinned publicly and fell, and I, it devastated me. But you know what I learned from that? They're people. They're human beings. Don't hold them up on that high pedestal. In fact, I, I, like, I like Paul. So many times pastors and preachers want to say how great Paul was and Paul is. You know, Paul said he was the chief of sinners. Let's not forget that. Elijah, the fourth thing I want you to consider is Elijah exaggerated his problems. He exaggerated his problems. I love the fact that we're staying on one verse, verse 14. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. Was that you at one point in your life and now you're not? Because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant? You may be thinking, well, everyone else is kind of bailing on me. We're not doing anything at church. Am I the only one that's seeing this? The children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left. I'm the only one seeing this, God, and they seek my life to take it. You know what the last thing I want you to consider this morning? is that Elijah exaggerated his problems. He exaggerated them. Am I the only one left? He was it in verse 14. Do you know the difference between a big problem and a little problem? A big problem is anything I'm going through. A little problem is anything you're going through. It's how we see it. His pity had snowballed into an exaggeration. He couldn't see reality. In fact, he couldn't see God. How'd he know he was the only one left? He's been running around for the last 40 days, and he comes to the conclusion in the last 24 hours that he's the only one left. To be able to see situations honestly is vitally important. What do we do? How to turn pity into praise. Here it is. This is what you came for. Three things I want you to consider of turning pity into praise. One, check your pulse. Right now, I want you to check your pulse. Now, I'm not real good at this. You have to ask Angie or uh, Michelle or somebody in our medical field, Maddie, how to check your pulse. It's right here-ish, right? Or you could do it right here. Uh, uh, right now, I want you to do it. Take your finger, not your thumb, because your thumb has a pulse in it. Take your two fingers. And I want you to press on your pulse. Angie, am I doing it right? Kind of, sort of. Okay, I got a thumbs up. Or check it. Are you checking it? I'm looking. Are you checking it? You guys aren't checking your pulse. Okay, Anna is. I see. There's Barb. All right. How to turn your pity into praise? Check your pulse. That means you woke up this morning. There's a lot of people that weren't, didn't wake up this morning. Some people didn't wake up today. You know what that means? that God ain't done with you yet, believer. If you have a pulse, he's not done. Oh, the Bible's chock full of promises on that point. If you have a pulse, if you don't have a pulse right now, go see Angie, actually. That would be a good thing to do. But check your pulse. You're alive today. You're alive today. We are a part of God's creation, and we're alive today. We get to walk on this big ball called earth that's alive today. He's made us alive and new today. Let's live like it. Number two, look at the condition of others. 
Now, don't compare yourself to others, but somebody has it worse. Somebody has it worse. And the third is this. Be careful what you think upon, because what you think upon will germinate in your heart and mind. Let me conclude, not only because it's starting to rain, but we went through the scripture thoroughly of one verse. 1 Kings chapter 19. And that, that, that one verse, I pray, would just be the one that sticks with you. That you would learn to live in that walk and take all of these principles. If you need the outline again, let me know. I will share it with you. So let's bow in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Dear Lord, thank you for loving us, being our God. May we be motivated today to see things the way you see them. To see ourselves the way you see us. Why? Because without you, we're lost. We're nothing. We are forgetful people. We are a forgetful people. But there's hope and there's excitement that when we walk in you, we'll be well-pleasing to you and we are blessed in return. So bless our efforts today for being here. May you be honored in what we say and do. And for those watching on Facebook uh, as well, to live a life that's worth living. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, you are dismissed.